are the future. So listen close. Reality is a lot deeper than many realize. From ideas to creation to wonder. The AOK podcast to me is a wonderland of possibilities. Around here, the subject is what we appreciate in our realities. So welcome. Join me and others as we voyage on adventures and discussions through pop culture with many thoughts and dreams and live them. Something is real to us the moment it affects us. As temporary as it may be, the mind and the heart can be a wonderful place to visit. Because once we escape and once we return to where we left off before, the world is never the same. So now, how about we escape? So the star, with the wane moon in its wake, marched across the Pacific, trailed the thunderstorms like the helm of a robe, and the growing tidal wave that toiled behind it, frothing and eager, poured over island and island and swept them clear of men. Until that wave came at last, in a blinding light and with the breath of a furnace, swift and terrible it came, a wall of water, fifty feet high roaring angrily upon the long coasts of Asia and swept inland across the plains of China. For a space the star, hotter now and larger and brighter than the sun in its strength, showed with pitiless brilliance the wide and populous country. Towns and villages with their pagodas and trees, roads, white cultivated fields, millions of sleepless people staring in helpless terror at the incandescent sky. And then, low and growing, came the murmur of the flood. And thus it was with millions of men that night, a flight now wither, with limbs heavy with heat, and breath fierce and scant, and the flood like a wall swift and white behind. And then, death. China was lit glowing white, but over Japan and Java and all the inlands of Eastern Asia, the great star was a ball of dull red fire, because of the steam and smoke and ashes the volcanoes were sprouting forth to salute its coming. Above was the lava, hot gases and ash, and below the seething floods. And the whole earth swayed and rumbled with the earthquake shocks. Soon the immemorial snows of Tibet and the Himalayas were melting and pouring down by ten million deepening converging channels upon the plains of Burma and Hindustan. The tangled summits of the Indian jungles were aflame in a thousand places, and below the hurrying waters and around the stems were dark objects that still struggled feebly and reflected the blood-red tongues of fire. And in a rudderless confusion, a multitude of men and women fled down 
the broad river ways to that one last hope of men. The open sea. Larger grew the star and larger, hotter and brighter with a terrible swiftness now. The tropical ocean lost its phosphorescence, and the whirling steam rose in ghostly wreaths from the black waves that plunged incessantly, speckled with storm-tossed ships. And then came a wonder. It seemed to those who in Europe watched for the rising of the star that the world must have ceased its rotation. In a thousand open spaces of down and upland, the people who had fled there from the floods and the falling houses and sliding slopes of hills watched for that rising in vain. Hour followed hour through a terrible suspense, and the star rose not. Once again, men set their eyes upon the old constellations they had counted lost to them forever. In England, it was hot and clear overhead, though the ground quivered perpetually. But in the tropics, Sirius and Cabela and Aldebaran showed through a veil of steam. And when at last the great star rose near ten hours late, the sun rose close upon it, and in the center of its white heart was a disk of black. Over Asia, it was the star that had begun to fall behind the movement of the sky. And then suddenly, as it hung over India, its light had been veiled. All the plain of India from the mouth of the Indus to the mouths of the Ganges was a shallow waste of shining water that night out of which rose temples and palaces, mounds and hills, black with people. Every minaret was a clustering mass of people who fell, one by one, into the turbid waters as heat and terror overcame them. The whole land seemed a wailing, and suddenly there swept a shadow across the furnace of despair, and a breath of cold wind, and a gathering of clouds out of the cooling air, Men looking up, near blinded at the star, saw that a black disk was creeping across the night. It was the moon, coming between the star and the earth. And even as men cried to God at this respite, out of the east, with a strange inexplicable swiftness, sprang the sun. And then star, sun, and moon rushed together across the heavens. So it was that presently to the European watchers, star and sun rose close upon each other, drove headlong for a space, and then slower, and at last came to rest. Star and sun merged into one glare of flame at the zenith of the sky. The moon no longer eclipsed the star, but was lost to sight in the brilliance of the sky. And though those who were still alive regarded it for the most part, and those who were still alive regarded it for the most part with that dull stupidity, that hunger, fatigue, heat, and despair and danger. There were still men who could perceive the meaning of these signs. Star and earth had been at their nearest, had swung about one another, and the star had passed. Already it was receding, swifter and swifter, in the last stage of its headlong journey downward into the sun. 
And then the clouds gathered, blotting out the vision of the sky. The thunder and lightning wove a garment round the world. All over the earth was such a downpour of rain as men had never before seen. And where the volcanoes flared red against the cloud canopy were descended torrents of mud. Everywhere the waters were pouring out of the land, leaving mud-silted ruins, and the earth littered like a storm-worn beach with all that had floated, and the dead bodies of the men and brutes, its children. For days the waters streamed off the land, sweeping away soil and trees and houses in the way, and piling huge dikes and scooping out titanic gullies over the countryside. Those were the days of darkness that followed the star and the heat. All through them, and for many weeks and months, the earthquakes continued. But the star had passed, and men, hunger-driven and gathering courage only slowly, might creep back to their ruined cities, buried granaries, and sodden fields. Such few ships as had escaped the storms at that time came stunned and shattered and sounding their way cautiously through the new marks and shoals of once familiar ports. And as the storms subsided, men perceived that everywhere the days were hotter than of yore, and the sun larger, and the moon, shrunk to a third of its formal size, took now fourscore days between its new and new. But of that new brotherhood that grew presently among men, of the saving of laws and books and machines, of the strange change that had come over Iceland and Greenland, and the shores of Baffin's Bay, so that the sailors coming there presently found them green and gracious, and could scarce believe their eyes. This story does not tell. Nor of the movement of mankind, now that the earth was hotter, northward and southward towards the poles of the earth. It concerns itself only with the coming in the passing of the star. The Martian astronomers, for there are astronomers on Mars, although they are very different beings from men, were naturally profoundly interested by these things. They saw them from their own standpoint, of course. This is what one wrote. Considering the mass and temperature of the missile that was flung through our solar system into the sun, it is astonishing what a little damage the Earth, which it missed so narrowly, has sustained. All the familiar continental markings and the masses of the seas remain intact. And indeed, the only difference seems to be a shrinkage of the white discoloration round either pole. This only shows how small the vastest of human catastrophes may seem at a distance of a few million miles. And we interrupt this podcast episode for a brief commercial break. Our sponsor has something important to say. The floor is yours, figuratively speaking. Oh, wait. The microphone is yours. That's better. Yours. That's better. And there you have it. That was the second part of The Star, written by H.G. Wells. And I gotta start off saying, what do the Martians have with us? 
every time in pop culture there are Martians, they always got a bone to pick with us for some reason. And judging by when this story took place, I mean, obviously this story was originally written years and years ago. But this was written in a time where we didn't really have space variant technology. So it's not like we have any probes and all this other crap on Earth, on Mars, I mean, for them to be, you know, have a to have a little pissy fit <laughs> at us. So what do they have against us? Are they jealous because we have all this water and Mars is all dried and shriveled and red? Is that is that what you got against us, Mars? Did I say Mars? I don't know. But anyway, that it was a good read. I didn't expect the story to end like this. Although it was very it was very good. I enjoyed the ending of this. It was a very good twist. And from what I was saying in the previous part, I wasn't sure what to expect from the star. I expected it to be an actual star, not really a sun. I didn't really know what to expect of it because I know there are rogue planets, but I don't know about rogue stars. Just I mean, I guess it would make sense. I never hear of such things, uh, you know, of, of a rogue star. It's usually rogue planets that are just flying out in space like someone is playing uh, pinball or billiard balls, you know. So that, I mean, why not? So that was quite interesting that it was just a missile from the Martians. <laughs> and it looks like Earth is not going to benefit too good. It from the sound of it, um, it sounds like Earth Earth's rotation around the sun got altered. And that's not good at all. It sounds like the moon got uh, taken back a little bit away from us. And if this, if we got hotter, I'm assuming that the moon got farther away from us and we got closer to the sun, if I read that correctly. And that's scary. <laughs> because that's going to drastically affect a lot of stuff. <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad that's not our planet, right? At least not for now. I've been listening to a lot of Neil deGrasse Tyson stuff, um, his uh, podcast on Star Talk. I've, I've listened to it for years, but I started from the beginning uh, a few months ago, and I'm trying to catch up and you know just listen to them all. And there's a lot of crazy stuff happening um, from the from our star, our sun, being theorized to uh, die in about five million years. Then there's the whole or wait, is it five million or five billion or? Either way, a couple million years, and then the same goes with the Andromeda Galaxy. We're supposed to collide with that, and that's some scary stuff. We're colliding with a whole other galaxy. Dude, <laughs> it could anything even survive that? I mean, the likelihood is like, what? It's just mind-blowing. So this kind of stuff is really mind-blowing and very scary, but good stuff for sci-fi stories. I gotta make good inspiration. It, it's got my gears going, and... Yeah, I mean, I am looking forward to reading the next story. I'm not sure if this referenced the other story at all, but um, as I was saying before, too, it's nice that this story was a different pace. This one was more on a catastrophe side of things, the whole planet in panic, while the previous uh, story was just innocent discovery and how... A single person, a single intelligent person would actually deal with it. And something else I wanted to mention about the uh, Martians that are pretty much hostile from what it looks like at this point. So I remember something Neil said about if aliens were to discover our planet today, 
he would be embarrassed. He would be embarrassed for the human race because of the stupid stuff we do. You know, greed outweighs a lot of intellectual things. And because of that, we fight amongst ourselves. We're exhausting the resources of our planet for greed, etc., etc. And it's just one of those things where he thinks either the aliens would just take over our planet uh, just to you know save us from um, extinction, or they would just pass on by and say there's no intelligent life there. <laughs> but that goes to show what if they weren't intelligent themselves what if they what if they had the same kind of greed we did and were coming in to take over our planet to take what resources we have left especially if they were martians because last we saw recently mars doesn't have nothing <laughs> i think now they, they i think it is proven now that there is water there or i mean it's confirmed that there was water there at one point from their studies but it makes me think it, I mean, it, it would make a lot of sense, you know, Earth, compared to Mars, Earth is quite the paradise, despite um, what all humans have done to it over the years. But I guess that's good reason for them to fire a missile at us because they're kind of jealous. You know, we're nice and green and blue and other colors and they're just red, red and dry, sometimes cold. So <laughs> um, that's all I got to say about this episode is really entertaining. I, I really love sci-fi and space and stuff. It's a huge inspiration. It's a huge inspiration for my own stories. That's usually the go-to genre I go to. So, yeah. I do hope you enjoyed this episode and my narration of it. Um, H.G. Wells has a, te has a definite interesting way of writing. So, my style of reading may not have fit this in the way it should have been read but i do hope you enjoyed it regardless <laughs> if you um did enjoy this episode uh do be sure to please support it by leaving a rating subscribing and sharing the podcast with others that way more people can see it and if you leave a review on the show you'll get a shout out in our next episode but due to my podcast being available not just on multiple platforms but multiple countries to ensure I see your rating, send me a copy either via email or preferably on Instagram or Facebook and social media, my other podcasts like I Believe in Monsters and Popcast, along with YouTube and more are linked in the show notes below. And special shout out as well for Cold Noise for the wonderful track Valley of Infinity, the track that was used for this podcast episode. Follow the link in the description below to support the artist and tell them I said, hey, if they uh, if you get a hold of them, if you want to request anything from them uh, to do or if they, you know, if you just want to contact them in general just to say hi, <laughs> if you like talking to uh, artists. So and, in, and on top of that, the intro song titled We Are the Future that I use in my introduction, that was produced by me. And if you like a copy of it, let me know. All right, so until the wind hits ourselves yet again, I will see you in the next escape.